0: Psalm 31. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to re- me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and you guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love, because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul, and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me, I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I've become like a broken vessel, for I hear whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine upon your servants. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you, in the sight of the children of mankind. And the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight." But you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help. Love the Lord, all you saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays those who act in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. God's word for God's people.
1: Amen. Hey, before we pray and uh, get into our passage for this psalm, Um, I wanted to give two quick updates on things, or or mention two things. Number one, um, for all of you who know, uh, I've been in the process over the last handful of months uh, of working toward a kidney transplant, Uh, and so many of you guys have been praying, you guys have asked, I just wanted to let you all know, uh, I am uh, officially accepted into the UNMC transplant program, which is a huge win. Thank you. Um, We did have a little bit of a delay on some of the donor stuff, and so we're still trying to figure out timing on the donor. So if you guys would be praying continually, I'm in the program, but we're still trying to figure out some of the details. So uh, my prayer has been that the Lord would do uh, what seems like a miracle now and still do a transplant in June. So if you guys want to pray big with me, you can do that. Uh, But we're grateful for all of your guys' prayers and everything you've done for us uh, the second thing I wanted to highlight quickly before we get into this is, uh, you know, we've mentioned we're starting our series in the Psalms, and one of the beautiful things that we do every summer is that we actually have artists in our church uh, draw depictions of the meaning and the heart of the Psalms. So, uh, Caitlin Regeer drew this one. Isn't that awesome? Can we give it up? So usually for our sermon series, we have one graphic that we create for the whole thing. For the psalms, we actually do a unique graphic that people draw for each psalm, uh, because the psalms are just a a creative way to see the glory and the beauty and the bigness of God. Uh, And so we just want to bring in a few different artistic elements to uh, our time in the psalms. And so uh, each week you'll see a different one. Uh, So thank you if you're an artist who's doing that this summer, Uh, and let's just uh, praise God for just the gifts that he's given us, because yeah, we're going to have some cool different graphics coming out. So let me pray, and then we'll jump into our psalm for tonight. Jesus, we thank you. Um, As we've said and as we've sung, we get to come to you not trying to present our best selves, but we get to come to you honestly, genuinely, um, with the highs of our life and the lows of our life, and we get to confess everything before you, and you do not respond in anger You do not respond uh, shaming us, but you respond with compassion and forgiveness and grace. And so we praise you for that. We pray now, would you give us sharp minds and soft hearts as we come to your word, that we would understand the beauties of this psalm, but that it would also affect our emotions and our heart, that we would be stirred to worship and love for you because of this psalm. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, we have uh, here at Providence officially hit the summer months. Uh, and we know that, you know, just like here in Nebraska, you know it's summertime when you go on vacations and people are at the lake and it's dreadfully hot outside and people are out of school. That's kind of the signs of summer. Well, here at Providence, the sign that we are in the summer is when we hit our Psalm series, all right? So uh, if you're new to our church family or just visiting, uh, let me fill you in on one of our oldest traditions here at the church, which is four years old, because that's how old our church is. So, but it's our longest standing tradition, uh, which is to preach through 10 psalms every summer. Uh, now, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, and you think of the psalms, you might consider the psalms as just a, a random collection of poems. Uh, but one of the things that we've wanted to communicate is that just like any other book of the Bible, uh, the psalms have a structure and an organized nature to them. And so one of the ways that we wanted to communicate that is that by doing what we do with every book. We start at the beginning, and we just work our way straight through the Psalms. So four years ago, we started in Psalm 1, and we're just slowly preaching through each of the Psalms 10 at a time. So this summer, we're going to be in 31 through 40. Uh, Now before we get into Psalm 31, let me just give a couple highlights on why I'm excited for the Psalms in general. Uh, There's many different reasons why I think the Psalms are important for us today. Um, They they're filled with this beautiful poetic language. Uh, The Psalms really teach us how we can pray. Uh, Maybe more than other books of the Bible, the Psalms kind of tap into like the emotional life of the Christian. Uh, You know, it was once said of Martin Luther, the great reformer, that his theology came from Romans, but his thunder came from the Psalms, that he got this emotional response out of the Psalms. Uh, They poetically reveal to us, us so much about who God is and his glory, and they give us a language, words to say for every scenario in our life. Uh, in fact, I could go on and on so much so that we actually uh, recorded a podcast that's going to be released this week. Uh, that We did an interview with a seminary professor of mine uh, who wrote a commentary on psalms just talking about why the psalms are necessary for the church today. Not just a good idea, not just something that maybe you should think about, but why the psalms are necessary for the Christians. So if you have questions on the psalms or anything, check that out this week. Uh, but while I think uh, you know the psalms are important, I think for many of us, the Psalms can also be confusing, right? If you've tried to read the Psalms, maybe it's been a bit of a challenge. Uh, You know, for a lot of us, honestly, the Old Testament in general is a little bit challenging. Uh, The nature of Hebrew poetry, I'm guessing not many of you are reading Hebrew poetry most weeks, so that, the whole genre is a little bit confusing. Uh, The imagery and the words that they use are not often words and imagery that we have Today Uh, And so, and and honestly, sometimes we just don't even know the relevance, right? You read through some of this stuff and you're like, I just honestly don't know how to apply that to today. And so, uh, because of that, before we get into this Psalm 31, I want to do just a quick crash course for us as a church on how we even read the Psalms. At like the broadest level, what are some of the steps to reading the Psalms? Let me give you three steps uh, for us. Uh, First... As you approach the Psalms, it's important to understand the heart or the meaning of the Psalm from the Psalmist's point of view. So one of the, the common things that we might do is you read a verse in the Psalms and you immediately try to think, well, how does that apply to me today? right? Or how does this imagery of something apply to today? But in doing that, you're actually missing the heart. This is a poem. It's a song. There's an emotion and a heart to the psalms, and we need to actually dive into the psalmist's heart and mind to best understand the psalm. Uh, Ambrose, who was an early church father in the fourth century, he said that the psalms are the voices of the people of God in the past. Like, think about that. These are the actual words and voices, the wrestlings of people of God that have come before us with how they navigated life with God. If you like reading or maybe watching, if you don't read things like biographical things or documentaries, you read about people and situations and and how they dealt with certain things. And that kind of inspires you a little bit, which it should, because that's good stuff to read and watch. Uh, That's kind of what the Psalms are for the Christian. We get to look back at people who have wrestled with God, wrestled with sorrow, wrestled with the joys of life, wrestled with anxiety, wrestled with all these things, and we get to see, man, how did they wrestle with God? What did they pray? How did they interact with God? What was encouraging to them in these moments? And so for us, we first need to go into the psalm saying, what's the heart and the meaning for the psalmist? But secondly, it's not just that these are Old Testament poems from thousands of years ago. Uh, the Psalms are all fulfilled in some way in the ministry and life of Jesus. Okay, the, That's why the Psalms, they are utterly Christian in nature. They are Christ-centered. This isn't just Old Testament Jewish stuff. This is actually fulfilled in Christ. Uh, Tim Keller uh, once said that all of the Psalms can be sung in their greatest sense in Jesus. That the fulfillment of all these psalms are in Christ. This means that the purpose of the psalms, uh, the experiences of the psalms, all of this points to Jesus. So for example, uh, in Psalm 2, when it says that God is going to anoint a king and he's going to rule the nations, that points us to the lordship of Jesus. Uh, In Psalm 22, when the psalmist cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's foreshadowing for us the suffering and ministry of the cross of Jesus Christ. In Psalm 51, when the psalmist cries out, God, I have sinned, would you cleanse me and forgive me? That psalm points us to our need for the work and mercy of Jesus. All the psalms are either pointing to or are fulfilled in Christ. And so these psalms are important for the church because they're very Christ-centered. Uh, But lastly, number three, the Psalms don't just teach us about the people of God, and they don't even just stop at being fulfilled in Jesus. But these Psalms really are a guide for how we can communicate with God today. So uh, another church father, Athanasius, he said, while most scriptures speak to us, the Psalms speak for us. So just consider, have you ever had a moment in life where you've just struggled to have the words? Uh, You've struggled with what to pray. Maybe you've just said in your life, I just don't know how to pray. I don't know how to communicate with God. Maybe you've had moments in your life where you're like, I'm feeling things, but I'm not sure that's appropriate or theologically accurate, or, or how can I actually process all of this? The Psalms speak for you. They give you words. They give you guidance. They actually will navigate the Christian life for. God's people. So church, we need the Psalms today. It's why we've committed as a church every summer to work through the Psalms because they tap into something beautiful and they lead and guide us. And so with all of that being said... We're gonna look at Psalm 31 tonight, uh, and kind of by way of just helping us as a church read the Psalms that way, I'm gonna use that three-part structure as my outline for tonight, all right? So what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at the Psalm at a very high level. So we're not gonna get down into the weeds. We're just gonna look at the heart of the Psalm from David's point of view, the author. Then we're gonna look at it uh, from how it's fulfilled in Jesus. And the last thing we're going to do is we're going to look at how does that actually apply today? What's encouragements today? And I'm actually going to use some of my own story, my own life, to kind of give some encouragements to us as a church. So we'll look at David's weariness, Jesus' weariness, and then my own as we walk through how that can apply for us today. Uh, And lastly, as we get into this psalm, uh, I do want to say that, you know, I just mentioned we're going to see the weariness of David primarily in this psalm. Uh, My hope is that this psalm would be nourishment if you have a weary soul tonight. Okay, So if you feel tired, uh, if you've come in here and you feel maybe like life's a little overwhelming, uh, maybe you feel a little bit worn out, maybe you feel like pain or hurt or suffering is around you, uh, my hope is that Psalm 31 uh, is a great nourishment for your soul. I think this psalm is going to help navigate those emotions for you. Uh, In fact, uh, in the Bible itself, a number of people, when they've had hard times, have looked to Psalm 31. Uh, You know the story of Jonah? When he was in the belly of the fish, he quotes Psalm 31. Uh, Jeremiah, the prophet who suffered, and most of his ministry was in anguish, he takes a phrase from Psalm 31, and he quotes it over and over and over again. Uh, Psalm 71, when he's facing a hard time, he actually takes the first three verses almost verbatim and starts Psalm 71 with it. And Jesus himself on the cross actually quotes Psalm 31. This, for the people of God, has been an encouragement for weary souls. And that's my hope for us this evening. So, if you've got a Bible, uh, let's jump in. Psalm 31. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be kind of skipping around the Psalm a little bit, so I'm not going to throw verses on the screen. So, if you've got a Bible, I want you to open it up. If you have a phone, uh, you can go there. If you're new, we use the ESV translation. All right, so I'm going to be saying a lot of different verses. Uh, if you've got a Bible app, just go to the ESV translation, get to Psalm 31. Uh, And like I said, we're going to be looking at this just from a very high view, 30,000 foot view. What is the heart and the meaning of this psalm? And we're going to start by looking at David, the author's viewpoint. Now, as you're getting there or flipping there, maybe even as you heard it read to you, uh, as we approach Psalm 31, it might be helpful to note right away that as you read it, uh, it reads a little confusing. Okay, so if you're not used to the psalms, probably all psalms are a little confusing, but uh, even if you kind of feel like you got a grasp of the psalms, this one is a little bit messy. Uh, There seems to be this like hope and confidence in the beginning of the psalm, but then right after that, he's pleading for deliverance and protection. Uh, He moves from despair to trust, and then back to despair, and then back to trust multiple times throughout. A part of the way through the psalm, it seems like he's been delivered, he's praising God, and the next few verses are, here's all the trouble in my life right now. Overall, reading Psalm 31 is not neat, it's not clean, it's not orderly, it's not a linear account of, I was in trouble, now I'm out of trouble. Instead, Psalm 31, is, it's like circular, it's a roller coaster. You could even say it feels almost a bit emotionally unstable, it's messy. And while I read that early, and especially as I'm trying to write a sermon on it, I felt like that's very frustrating, that it's not nice and neat, and you can structure it all out. Um, but the more I studied it, the more I honestly can say, I found that to be incredibly encouraging. And here's why: Is it not true that in some of your moments of deepest kind of despair or hardship in your life, that those times are far from neat? tidy, clean, and linear, right? Like, is it not true that when life presents its hardest moments, when you feel worn out, you bounce from despair to hope, from trust to anxiety, from confidence to cowardice, from fright to faith? You know, I love Psalm 31 because it is the genuine emotional experience of a human who is wearily suffering. You know, we trust God one moment, and then we wonder if God's real the next day. You know, we feel confident in our situation in one moment, and then we worry and we lay awake at night the next day. We praise God for being with us one day, and then we question why he's abandoned us the next day. Psalm 31 to me was so encouraging because it's so real. It doesn't paint this like idealistic picture of Christians just skipping through life happy even though they're suffering. It's messy. They're all over the place. It's not clean and neat. And I think that while it taps into the chaos of a weary soul, it also offers us a little bit of hope. So with that being said, uh, let's jump in. Like I said, I'm going to be looking at a few different verses. So let's find out, why is David's soul so weary? What's going on in David's life? Uh, First, look at verse 4. David says that his enemies have hidden a net For him. Okay, so in other words, he's saying, I'm walking through life and my enemies are trying to catch me. They're trying to trap me. So everywhere I go, I have to be on high alert because people are actually looking to take my life. Uh, Verse 7, he goes on to say, That God has seen my affliction and he knows the distress of my soul. Have you ever felt a soul level distress? Like just a deep affliction or agony. Uh, maybe if you've lost a family member or a loved one, and you've just felt that like pit at the depth of your soul. Maybe if you've lost a job, or you've uh, gone through a season of like severe depression, and you know there's just something kind of at the depth of who you are that is distressed. That's what David's going through. Because of that, verse 9, he says... I am in distress, my eye is wasted from grief, my soul, and my body also. He says this distress, it's so all-encompassing. He said it's not just a mental thing, it's not just a spiritual thing, it is like my body. You know, if you have ever felt that, like your body just feels lethargic, and it just almost hurts, there's just pain everywhere. He says that's my experience right now, it's everywhere. In verse 10, he's perceiving his life, and he says, For my life is spent with sorrow, my years with sighing, my strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. In other words, he's looking at his life, he says, Everywhere I look is sorrow. Everywhere is pain. And you know, if you've ever been in a season of suffering, you know that that's not completely true, but isn't that how it feels in the moment? Like it just feels like everywhere I look, suffering, suffering, pain, hurt, distress, like everywhere you feel like everything is crashing in on you. He says, all of my life is just pain and hardship, grief, sin, and exhaustion. Now on top of all that, verse 11, he, he moves to a relational aspect. He says that people, I have a poor reputation with the people around me. Maybe you felt that. Maybe you felt like, man, people don't trust me. Uh, People don't really look to me. Uh, Maybe my family members, there's a riff, and, and they don't really value me. People at work don't really look to me as knowing what I'm talking about. He says, I just have a bad reputation with everyone around me. Verse 12, he says, actually, people have just forgotten me. I'm alone. I'm overlooked. Nobody's really even noticing who I am And then verse 13, he says, Well, but the people that do look at me, they're actually thinking and talking badly about me. So on one hand, I'm overlooked. And on the other hand, the people that know me just talk bad about me. In verse 18, he says that people are actually creating lies about me. And to cap it all off, in verse 22, he moves to his relationship with God. And he said, I said in my alarm. So in this like kind of surprise of everything that's going on, he said, I am cut off from your sight. He's saying, it seems like even in the midst of this, God doesn't even look at me anymore. He doesn't even notice me. You know, life is a bleak picture when your soul grows weary. You start to spiral and you start to see everything as a problem. Emotional despair, physical pain, relational turmoil, and spiritual discouragement is the life of David. He says, every part of my being feels weary. I wonder if you faced moments like this in life. Or maybe not to all of that extent, but maybe you have. I mean, maybe you've faced moments where it feels like, man, I look around and all my life is sorrow. I just am filled with angst and anxiety. My pain is so big, it feels like my body is actually wasting away, where, where emotional despair is actually just commonplace, where the physical pain just doesn't seem to be going away. Where that relational strife just seems to hit at every single turn, or maybe you feel spiritually far from God, or maybe even you start to build up a hostility toward God. The question of Psalm thirty-one is: What do you do in those moments? Right when you feel that type of despair, where do you turn? Well, let's learn from our friend David. You know, a number of times throughout the Psalm, uh, David declares that even in the midst of his great suffering and weariness, he says over and over again, I will trust the Lord. Uh, Look at this. Verse 5, he says, Into your hand I commit my spirit. He's saying, I am putting my life and myself in the hand of the Lord. Verse 6, he says, But I trust in the Lord. Verses 14 and 15, he proclaims, I trust in you, O Lord. My times are in your hand. David's committing himself to the sovereign hand of the Lord, even through the greatest weariness and suffering in his life. I think this is one thing we can learn from David's weariness. You know, most of David's life was pretty challenging. Uh, You can read 1 and 2 Samuel, and you just see just hardship after hardship in the life of David. It's filled with miserable circumstances, honestly. Uh, But he proclaims in verses 2 and 3 of this psalm that the Lord has not abandoned him, but the Lord is his rock and his fortress. And he's saying that not when life is easy and stable, but he's saying that when life is hard. You know, I think for many of us today, we can have a a functioning view of uh, God in the world that uh, God is pleased with me or he's happy with me. Me and God are good when my life is going good. Right? So if my external life is good, that must mean that me and God are good. And then when suffering comes or hardships come, we are utterly surprised. Like We are just completely thrown off at why we would be suffering. And for many, we turn to the assumption that, well, that must mean God isn't real. Or that must mean God is mad at me. Or that must mean that God has abandoned me. Or that God is no longer a rock and a fortress for me. But I want us to see from Psalm 31, church, that Suffering is not the reason we should turn our back on trusting God. Suffering is actually the very times in our life where we need to enact our trust in God. our, Our trust is hardly tested when life is really easy and everything is going well. But when we are weary and suffering, it is in those moments where your trust in God is actually put on display. We cannot let suffering push us from God. We actually use these seasons of suffering to see our trust be put in God all the more. And one more thing on Psalm 31. I just want us to notice that Psalm 31 is not sung after David is taken out of or delivered from suffering. Psalm 31 is the song of the sufferer. It's the medicine for a soul who is in the midst of suffering, and even when life is hard, he sings, I trust in you, O Lord. This is what David shows us from his own weariness in Psalm 31. But, as I said, we don't just look at David's circumstance, but this psalm actually finds fulfillment in the ministry and person of Jesus. So let's just take a moment and let's consider how is this Psalm, the heart of it, the emotion of it, fulfilled in Jesus. Now, I'll tell you, some Psalms are hard to find that. Some Psalms are very easy when Jesus quotes it, which is what he does for Psalm 31. So he helps us out here. Uh, so in, when he's nearing death on the cross, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, verses 23 46, He actually quotes this verse. So Jesus, right before his final breath, Jesus cries out, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. So he's quoting verse 5 of Psalm 31. Uh, Now, just kind of a, a Bible tip for you. When Jesus or somebody in the New Testament, when they quote the Old Testament, It's not just that they have a few words that they liked so they took it, but especially for Jesus with the Psalms, he's not just taking that phrase, he's saying, I'm embodying in this moment Psalm 31. Like the emotion and the meaning of it, he is fulfilling. So let's consider the heart of the Psalm again. Remember, David is lonely, distressed, afflicted, in pain, weary, Betrayed, physically wasting away, nearing death, and feels like God has abandoned him. And what Jesus does on the cross is says, in a greater way than David experienced, that's what he was facing that day. Jesus' friends had left him. People created lies about him. He was emotionally distressed. He was quite literally physically wasting Away. Death was simply a breath away, and the Father was not there to comfort him, but was actually pouring out wrath upon him. You know, even more than David, Jesus felt the suffering and the weariness of of this life in that moment. The weight and the pain of sin and death was being poured out and crashing on him. The blazing fire of God's holy, eternal wrath was being unleashed on him. His closest friends had left him. Those who were around him were beating him and scorning him. And it seemed as if he was completely cut off from the affection of his father. And church, for us today, uh, we cannot miss why Jesus embodied Psalm 31. You know, Jesus faced all of that, not because he actually deserved it, he didn't deserve the weariness of this life. He didn't deserve the suffering of this world. He didn't deserve the wrath of the Father, the effects of death. But he took it because that's what we deserve. Did you know that? That that's actually what we deserve. It is you and I who deserve the fullness of Psalm 31. That it's you and I that deserve to be abandoned or to be cut off from God to face the effects of death. It's you and I who deserve for the Lord not to be our rock and fortress, but to be our condemning judge for our rebellion. Yet it was out of love for us that the Father sent the Son in our place. The Son took the cross and all the effects of Psalm 31 out of his love for you. He bore your grief, your affliction, your despair, your distress, and the wrath he bore it all so he could take your place. And the trust and the faith of Psalm 31 was put on display when Jesus truly said, my times are in your hand. All right, when he gave his literal life to the hand of the Father and trusted that his Father would prevail. He embodied that idea of verse 15, this complete trust to the point of death that his whole life was in the hand Of the Father. Because he knew that even though it seemed as if death and defeat came on that day, that by his faith in the work and the preservation of the Father, that he would actually rise victoriously. You know, the end of Psalm 31 and 23 and 24, those verses, it says that we, the faithful, they'll be preserved. They'll be strengthened. There'll be victory for those who trust in God. And that is what Christ experienced, not just in his death, but three days later in his resurrection. And the good news of the gospel for us is that all of that, him embodying Psalm 31, the suffering of it, and also the victory and strength of it, is all simply offered to us by faith in him. That's his offer for us today. And so I would say, if you are not a Christian, you've never actually put your faith in Jesus, that's the offer from Jesus today. All of the sin and the wrath and the death that you actually deserve because of your rebellion in God, that he took that on the cross for you. Would you give your life, your submission of your life to him today? And church, let me say one thing on this. If you are a Christian, uh, the New Testament says this idea should actually bring us great comfort. In 2 Corinthians 1, um, when we look at the suffering of Jesus, he says that he suffered so that he could enter into your suffering. If you are in Christ, it says that we share in his sufferings. This life is going to be hard. We shouldn't be surprised by our sufferings. But... Jesus entered into that so that He could be a comfort in it with you. Church, this means that Jesus actually can comfort you in your deepest pain, your greatest weariness, your most tragic heartbreak, your most profound loneliness, your darkest depression, and even the scariest moment of death. 2 Corinthians 1 says Jesus has experienced that and will enter into that with you. This is the emotion of David as he wrote it. This is the fulfillment of Jesus and what he offers us. Now I want to end by offering two final encouragements for us today then for the weary soul. Okay, for for us as we grow tired, as we're worn out, as we're weary, what are some encouragements? How do we actually use this psalm to help us navigate in the Christian life today? And I do want to do this by giving a couple personal examples. Um, we looked at David, we looked at Jesus, and I just want to kind of use my life to help hopefully encourage. I will say I do this somewhat hesitantly, but I hope helpfully. All right, The biblical authors will sometimes use their own experiences to spur on the church, so I'm hoping I'm in good company here. Uh, but I want to give you two encouragements uh, from Psalm 31 for the weary soul. Okay, Number one, I want to encourage you to view suffering... As a season to experience God in new ways. Okay, view suffering as a season to experience God in new ways. Uh, Again, I mentioned this earlier, most of you know, I've been fairly sick uh, for a while, but especially over the last year and handful of months. Um, And one of the things that's been really encouraging about Psalm 31 for my own soul, especially this week, but just this idea over these last few months. Um, has been in the beginning of the psalm when David cries out. So if you notice in verses 2 and 3, uh, he cries out to God. He says, be a rock and a fortress for me. But you notice what he says in verse 3? He says, for you are my rock and my fortress. Now you've got to think that's kind of unique, right? He's saying, God, you are a rock and fortress, so be a rock and fortress, right? Isn't that kind of a unique kind of way of saying that? And here's what has been encouraging to me there are certain things that we know about God, that we know are true about God, that until you need to feel it and experience it, you just don't quite know it, right? So, so David knows, he says, you are my rock and my fortress, but until life literally f- crumbles underneath him, it's in those moments where you say, God, I know you're my rock and my fortress, but be my rock and my fortress right now. Like be here for me, I need to experience it and feel it. And friends, I can tell you over these last few months, there have been so many things where I've known, I knew God was a rock, and I've never experienced God as a rock until this season. You know, there was a a moment, I had a seizure in November, and the couple weeks after that, my brain was really foggy, I was very slow mentally, uh, I really struggled relationally to like keep up in conversation. And so the couple weeks, you know, after my seizure, I legitimately had a number of times where I thought... I don't think I'll ever be able to be a pastor again, right? This is something I love. It's what I feel called to. And I'm like, I can't relate to people. I can't have a conversation with people. I can't think deeply. I mean, I had those nights where I would sit there and think, I think I'm done being a pastor. And it's in those moments where I feel like this is one of the greatest joys of my life could potentially is being taken away from me. I had to say, God, I know you're a rock, but I need you to be a rock right now for me. There were moments where I felt sad and in despair, I was depressed. There was lonely moments, moments where I felt like nobody knew what I was feeling. I felt spiritually attacked over and over again. And it was in those moments where I said, God, I know you're a fortress. I know you protect your people, but I need you to protect me right now. Because seasons of suffering allow you to experience God in ways that you never do in other times. And so church, I just want to plead with us as a church, as we grow and we mature year after year, let us not view suffering as a time to turn from God, but let us view suffering as a season where we actually get to experience God in new and more beautiful ways. Because when life crumbles and life just feels like it's out of your hands, it's in those moments where you say, I know something's true about God, but I need to know it now more than ever. So that's my first encouragement. Lastly, second one, would we view suffering as a season to rely on God's providence in greater ways? I know the irony. Our name's Providence. All right, so, but this is big, okay? So view suffering as a season to rely on God's providence in greater ways. I've mentioned verses 14 and 15 already. Uh, David cries out. He says, All of this is happening in my life. It feels like chaos and suffering is going on, but I trust in you, O Lord. My time is in your hand. I want you to think in those moments of life where you feel like you are out of control, like you just don't have the control in your life like you thought you did, can you confidently cry out, I trust in you, O Lord? For my time is in your hands. Because I think sometimes the Lord, in his kindness, all right, that's huge. The Lord, in his kindness, will strip away the control you think you have in your life so that you can better sing, My time is in your hands. God is sovereign. And he is providentially, he's in, active in our life, working, guiding us and leading us. We are not in control of our life. God is. You know, I had a moment a couple weeks after the the seizure. We did a follow-up appointment with the doctor. uh, And I had a doctor very bluntly um, look at me and basically say, you know, we looked at your levels and stuff. When you had your seizure, you should have died. Very bluntly, it was very alarming as she said it. Um, But she said, you really like with where your levels were at, you should have actually passed away. And in those moments, you know, you kind of think you're like, man, I'm thinking about my wife, my kids, things that I want to do in life, you guys, the church. And I'm thinking, man, you you just never quite experience or know the fragility of life or how out of control you are until you actually just sit in and understand the providence of of God and his sovereignty and I had to ask in those moments do I actually trust that God is providence that my time my days the amount of breaths I have in this world is that up to God or is that up to my own self-sufficiency who's actually in control of my life is it in God's hand or is it in my own hand and in seasons of suffering I think it's opportunities for us to sing joyfully verses 14 and 15. That we trust the Lord and our time, our days, the happenings in our life are all in the hand of God. And when you feel out of control or you feel frustrated that things aren't happening like you want them to, I want to encourage us to turn to Psalm 31 and not begrudgingly sing this. Not say, I wish life was in my hand, but it's actually in God's. But would we rest in the fact that our time is in God's providential Plan, church. This is my hope for us. I I hope that in these weary moments of life, that we can know um, not only are we not new in that David suffered with this, Christians have suffered with this, but that Christ has actually experienced this on our behalf, and we can see these moments of weariness and suffering as moments to actually press into the Lord. Let me pray, Father. We are so grateful. For this psalm, we're grateful that David's suffering was not meaningless. His, his wrestling with you over his life is actually preserved for the good of the church for thousands of years. We're so grateful that you've done this. Jesus, we're grateful that you are our rock and our fortress, that you guide us, you protect us, you are the ground on which we stand. In the midst of our greatest moments of anxiety and worry, suffering, and weariness, um, we can actually rest in you. God, we're grateful that, um, that we know because of your word that our suffering is not meaningless. It's not um, just haphazard experiences in life that just seem to be going bad for us, but it's actually, you have a purpose in it, and you're leading us to something. And so would we as a church um, have uh, just spiritual rebar in our spines that can just hold us and um, God that just keep us strong and with you that you would implant your spirit and your word deep inside of us that we would actually grow in these seasons of hardship. We're so grateful that you're so kind to us to do whatever it takes to get us to love you and be with you more. And pray this all in Jesus name. Amen. Father, Son,